You need pretty significant asset management skills to be able to make sure that your budgets and income and expenses are all on track and be able to discern consistently across your entire portfolio what things are out of balance and then how to correct those things. Welcome to the Free From Wall Street podcast, where we share how we have done over $200 million in real estate deals to create, preserve, and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. If you're ready to start investing with purpose, visit freefromwallstreet.com. But for now, let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Free From Wall Street podcast. My name is Steve Libman. I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking about why it's an exciting day thursday the 29th we are closing or we have closed it's uh, almost 3 p.m eastern standard now so we have closed with our partners a 384 unit 42 million dollar acquisition in daytona beach florida really exciting so i wanted to spend some time today talking to you guys about why we did the deal what is the deal what do the metrics look like and things like that so we're gonna dive in and break down this deal a little bit to, you know, we'll go a little bit more granular in another episode, but I just want to give you guys some high level details about why we did the deal, what we liked about it, things like that. So first, let me give you a little bit of a genesis about how our business itself has shifted over the years. As you know, many of us, uh, or many of you know that we started in the residential real estate space, wholesaling, flipping, maybe did a thousand houses, at the peak of uh, the business over 10 years, we were doing 150, 180 deals a year, which was a very transactional, very highly taxed type of job. Large team needed to manage a lot of moving parts and it was a cash eating machine. That business needed to spend a ton of money on marketing to make us get in front of, in front of different homeowners and things like that. So it was a great business. We're super grateful for it. We definitely met a lot of amazing people through that business and it really helped us grow in terms of how to get to this next level. But we switched into the commercial side, as you know, self-storage facilities, multifamily apartment complexes. So we've built three self-storage facilities, about 350,000 square feet or so, ground up construction in Orlando and around Orlando. They were all third party managed by CubeSmart. So we did all the financing and managing of them, and then they operated those deals. We just exited all of those projects a couple of weeks ago. So we sold our positions, returned all the capital to our investors, plus their returns, and in turn, they rolled that capital into some other projects that we had going on. So um, it was a great foray into the business. And then after that, we said, hey, you know what? Let's go buy 66 units, 84 units, 120 units and manage those properties kind of in-house, right? Or use some third-party managers that we would manage. And, you know, we are still operating a number of those deals. We're under contract to sell one of them. And they're great deals. But as you continue to grow in business, I think you need to figure out what is your niche? Where is your lane? And we, last November, decided to sit down and think about what Part of the business do we provide the most value in? What do we enjoy doing? And then what don't we necessarily enjoy doing? I think it's very important in your entrepreneurial journey or your investment journey or your life in general to make sure that you're doing the things that you enjoy doing, right? Because you don't want to continue to just build yourself job after job that it feels like you're kind of trudging through life to get through. And that's just personal growth and accountability that you need to do as a person to figure out what your why is and why you're doing certain things and what do you enjoy and is it giving you the lifestyle that you want or not? If so, change it. 
So this is what we did, right? We just did a, a corporate assessment of, do we like this aspect of the business? Where do we add the most value? So we are investors first, right? So we're looking at deals that people are sending us from an investment perspective first. How do I underwrite the operator, underwrite the deal, underwrite the geography, and then decide I'm going to deploy my capital into that project. Once we do that, then we open up the doors for our investor club and we say, hey, come along for the ride with us if you like this deal as well. And as we're doing that, we found that you know the operations piece, the asset management, the property management, construction management, all of that has to get built out. right? And we partnered in the past with some teams that were not quite built out to where they needed to be. And it was just a management piece of that to make sure that the ball kept moving forward, right? You need pretty significant asset management skills to be able to make sure that your budgets and income and expenses are all on track and be able to discern consistently across your entire portfolio what things are out of balance and then how to correct those things. So what we said was, you know, we have some great relationships with institutional operators. And when I say institutional operator, I mean somebody that operates $500 million or more of assets, a billion dollars would be ideal, 5,000 to 10,000 units. So institutional, meaning mostly has been funded by Wall Street or pension funds or insurance funds and things like that, right? So those are institutional operators. There's institutional funds on Wall Street that fund these institutional operators. Well, we figured, hey, why don't we just go build some relationships with those types of operators? And then we could fund them, partner with them on their deal flow. And then they are really good at the operational side. We are really good at the investor management side and educating investors about this stuff. So why don't we just focus on that? So that's exactly what we did today on our closing today. Seven years ago, we went to a Harvard club breakfast that we couldn't afford the eggs at, frankly to go and learn what institutional operators and institutional financiers looked at when looking for operators and deals. And I sat next to this very nice gentleman who uh, had been in the business for over 30 years at the time. And he was a private operator and he was funded historically by Wall Street. And we had kept in touch right over the last seven years. Hey, this is what we're doing. That's cool. Keep in touch. What's it look like? And then uh, somebody brought us a deal and said, hey, this group is looking for a, uh, an investor. And I said, oh, that's, that's our guy. We know that guy. And um, we called him, had a great conversation, decided in January to do this particular deal that we're closing on today. And that, <laughs> the rest is history, right? So we had a, our, our previous deals were 3 million, 5 million, up to 10 million. This deal today is 42 million, and it's because we partnered with an institutional operator that gets looks at these different deals that we wouldn't typically be able to get eyes on because who's bringing 50, 60, 70 million dollar deals to us? Well, not many brokers. We didn't have that big of a portfolio yet, that long of a track record yet. So anyway, the partnership is fantastic because we focus on our lane, they focus on their lane, and, and the rest kind of works itself out. So let's break down the details of this particular deal. This particular deal is what they call a recapitalization. So this was not a straight acquisition. So a straight acquisition would be where you get something under contract, you do your due diligence, you put it under contract, you put your hard money up, and then you go and close 30, 60, 90 days later. A recapitalization is an asset that is owned by an existing operator. So the owner that we knew went and he put down his own money to acquire this property. 
And then after he got it stabilized, they'll do a recapitalization, which just means I'm literally getting my capital back. So we bring equity into the deal, replace his capital. The debt stays in place. The operator stays in place. The property manager stays in place. Everything is staying stable, except we swap out the equity and now we're 50-50 partners in the deal. So the reason that that's good for us, especially in this COVID environment, and I used to say post-COVID environment, but if you've been watching the news the last couple of weeks, things are moving around a lot again. So who knows, right, what the future holds. But in a COVID environment, doing an acquisition means that you have to trust but verify what the seller is telling you. And oftentimes, it's easily hidden, right? If you have 100% occupancy, but 70% of your people are paying, there are ways to kind of make the books look like everybody's paying. So there's some risk in doing smaller deals without audited financials. These larger deals, right, typically have audited financials. And especially on a recapitalization, you have the whole 18-month history of month-over-month financials because they've been operating the deal. So it's um, this particular property is 97.5% occupied, 100% pre-leased, which means by next month it'll be fully occupied. Um, there's a lot of move-ins taking place August 1st. And that keeps our money safe, right? I want to deploy my capital into a safer environment versus a more volatile environment. That's why we got into this business in the first place. But especially in a COVID atmosphere or post-COVID atmosphere, you have to make sure that what you're buying is actually what you're buying. And this mitigates that downside risk significantly because we know exactly what we're getting because the operators owned it for the last year and a half. So that's why we did a recapitalization on this particular deal versus a acquisition. So we raised $12.2 million in equity $30 million of debt stayed in place, 3.41%. So long-term debt, stable debt in place, no you know, arms or variable interest rates or anything like that. And we, it'll stay stable for the next 10 years. We typically will hold these deals for five to seven years. And it's just a very strong cash flowing asset. A couple of cool things that took place during while we were under contract is the operator continued to operate very well while we were raising the capital and getting ready to close. They actually increased the net operating income to a point where it raised the valuation of the property somewhere between seven and ten million dollars. Depends on the valuation, but based on the new net operating income, definitely moved the needle upwards of twenty percent or more of the valuation of the property. So now we get that instant equity. Now let me tell you, if you were an institutional operator and an institutional fund, what would have typically happened? They would have come back to the fund and then said, "Hey, while we were under contract, we increased." the net operating income of this property. And because of that, we want to do what they call mark to market. Just means bring the valuation up to a fair market valuation and increase the purchase price. That's fair, actually. And that's what typically would be done in a situation like this, because now the property is probably worth 50 million, not 42. So, you know, hey, Mr. Investor, we like you, but you're not going to get $8 million of free equity, right? Well, that didn't happen. Our relationship with the sponsor, our relationship with the operator proved itself time and time again through this process to where they continued to operate very well, increased the valuation of the property, and did not move the target price for us. So that just goes and speaks to the character of the partners, right? Making sure that you're dealing with people with integrity is a big deal for us, obviously with our name, but also knowing that that's who we're partnered with, right? So that was amazing. A couple negative things that took place during this time frame was we, 
I went to uh, South Carolina, went to Hilton Head the week before Christmas, found an amazing house. My wife and I decided to buy it and go home to New Jersey and sell our house and move the whole family down. It was two weeks, three weeks after that, that we got under contract on this property. And it wasn't more than another two weeks after that, that my father-in-law got very sick and he ended up passing away over the next 60 days. So we were moving a family of five, 800 miles while packing up the house and while spending as much quality time at her parents' house as we possibly could at my wife's parents' house. And it was a very traumatic time. It was a very difficult time. And as we continued to, we had to move the timeline of this closing out because of that. And our partners, again, very understanding. They had their money in the deal. They wanted their money out, obviously, to pursue other deals, but they understood the personal things that were going on in our personal lives. And they, uh, they were very gracious about how they handled that. So we thank you guys for how you handled that. We're, we're super grateful. And it made the transition a little bit easier, right? It wasn't an easy time of life either way, but it did make the stress come off of the transition for that because we didn't have to close on April 1st, which is what our original target date is. And as you guys know, it's July 29th. So we had to kick the can down the road quite a bit because of some family issues. So life does happen, right? And there's always those opportunities where your partner can say, well, look, I understand life happens, but I still have a business to run. So I'm going to go and have somebody else fund this deal and we'll catch you on the next one. Would have been completely reasonable and we would have understood that. That's not what happened again, right? So just blessing after blessing through this project with our partners, with the with kind of how things unfolded. And now we get to celebrate with us and uh, nearly 100 uh, private investors with us in this deal and a couple of other partners, some friends of ours that we've known for a long, long time that have been in the single family space. And now they're joining us in the commercial space, which is super exciting because they get to bring their circles into these deals as well. So it's been really an incredible journey. We'll break down some of the numbers, like I said, in a spreadsheet and a pro forma on a different video today. I just really wanted to give you some tops of the waves of how this deal went down. And what happened also was we were ready almost 29, exactly 29 days ago with a hard closing date of July 1st. And again, just in terms of unpredictability. So you had to get approval for the recapitalization from Freddie Mac from the bank, right? They have to approve any change in equity ownership. So we had to get underwritten. They had to change the, uh, they didn't change the terms of the loan, but they had to swap out the operating agreements and things like that and then get approval. Okay, no big deal. That shouldn't take more than 30 days, right? Well, it actually took 60 days. So we were sitting on all of our investors' capital for almost a month now waiting for this thing to close. We were ready, willing, and able, but the bank was the holdup. So the bank went to go get approval. Who knows that in July, a lot of people go on vacation. So you had some attorneys on vacation, you had some bankers on vacation, and then everybody gets final approval. And then it has to go to the master servicer. I didn't even know Freddie Mac, if anybody had a master servicer. I thought they serviced all their own debt on their own books. Well, it turns out there's a company bigger than Fannie and Freddie, and they, they're the master servicer for a lot of these loans. And that's who we needed, again, another line item of approvals for. So they approved it, then it got kicked up, and then the attorneys had to sign off on it. Everybody had to sign. So anyway, long story short, took about an extra 30 days to close the deal after we kicked the can down the road for a couple months too. So it was a long process to get to the finish line. But the good news is, is that the asset is even stronger than it is than, than when we, or than it was when we underwrote it and decided to do the deal, right? So it's worth 
nearly $10 million more, if not that. It's 100% released, right? The CapEx budget has started. There's been, you know, so we're ready to rock and roll. So we're closing today. CapEx is starting next week. Like we're, we're going. So, you know, you just have to be patient in this business, right? It's, this is not a $50,000 house that we've bought and flipped, which is probably about where we were 11 years ago. You know, this is a $42 million acquisition. There's a lot of moving parts to it. And you just have to do what you can do on a day-to-day basis to move the, the needle. So it's been a, a great learning curve. We have another property that we can do uh, with this particular operator again this year, another $50 million project. So we're excited about that. And you've probably heard us talking if you've been following any of our content that we are taking the next 45 to 60 days and not doing any acquisitions. We will be working on the business, not in the business. We're going to be doing a a reset. We've spent the last week or two going through some personal accountability stuff with the team. And what that means is that everybody kind of had some goals to set for nourishment, mindset, community, professional. So it's just this whole wheel of, um, it's called a wellness wheel. If you you haven't checked out Boldly & Co., go to boldlyandco.com. And check out Nina Ferrara's uh, company, Boldly & Co. It's, uh, it's all about mental health. It's all about accountability in terms of like holistic health, right? So if, as entrepreneurs and business owners, we tend to value, well, I don't know if we tend to value this, but I'll say it at least from our perspective. At Integrity Holdings Group, we value people over profits. So what we want to make sure is that we're creating an environment where people live a holistically well life, well-rounded life. You know, I want to make sure that you are profiting not just financially, but spiritually, mentally, physically, things like that. And we, so now we've created this morning huddle where all of us jump on at 9, 9.30 and we go through, are you on or off track on these nine different areas of your life? And if you missed out on something for yesterday, if you didn't read your Bible yesterday, you didn't hit the gym yesterday, let's talk about why, right? And um, how does that relate? As business owners, we can very much create an environment for people where they are stressed out overeating, not going to the gym, not being healthy mentally, spiritually, or physically. And, you know, we want to help the, help our team be consistent with that. So we asked for accountability and in turn, they asked for accountability. So we're doing that. And what's that, what that's doing is setting the, the guardrails of your personal life and your personal parameters to fit your business into it, to fit your job into it, instead of having a job life and everything else trying to stuff into it. Because that doesn't work, right? That's not sustainable. And that's certainly not the reason that we created the business or want to work for somebody. So we've been uh, focused on that in the last couple of weeks while we're leading up to this closing today, taking money in, taking wires in, getting all the docs signed, things like that. There's certainly things that have to get done. But now that we are closing today, we are not doing any acquisitions and we're just going to be focusing on, okay, what is wrong with the accountability chart? Meaning who sits in what seats and are the right butts in the right seats? And if they're not, who do we have to hire? How do we make more efficiencies? How do we become more effective in these areas? Where do we automate? What do we process? What do we create systems for? And, you know, the next iteration of the business is what the focus is, right? So sometimes you need to take a time out. I think as entrepreneurs, we always want to relate the level of success that we have to how hard we grind. But that only works in the beginning of your business, right? And if you listen to what got us here, won't get you there in our podcast a, a couple of days ago, 
then you'll hear us talk about this kind of emphatically. But anyway, the, the point is, is that now we're going to be focusing on the structure, right? The finances, the predictability of how we're bringing new investors into our investor club, how we're educating more investors, how we're casting a wider net, how we're letting more people know about what it is that we do. And we've had amazing phone calls over the past week that really fulfill the heart behind the business, which is our donor advised fund. We've been able to give some pretty significant checks away to our donor advised fund, which directly goes to nonprofits that we support over the last couple of weeks. And as you start into these businesses and you create profits and all that stuff, it's really exciting. But I have never been more fulfilled, and I don't think my team has either, and they can jump on and tell you if that's true or not. We'll, we'll do a kind of a roundtable with the team soon. But to sit and talk to these guys and girls that run these nonprofits, giving us the stories and the backgrounds of the things that they're seeing on the front lines and how the finances are needed to help do X, Y, and Z, right? Saving girls from sex trafficking, digging wells in Western Africa, you know, really impactful things that impact humanity in a big way. We've had these phone conversations and Zoom conversations with our nonprofits over the last couple of weeks while this is all going on. And it really gets you to refocus, right? Really gets you to shift your focus into more of a humble, grateful perspective. And then also, how can we help? How can we be a bigger impact? So anyway, hopefully this is encouraging to you guys. If you haven't gone, you know, again, check out Boldly Co. to do some wellness wheel stuff. Talk to Nina about her calendar and like how you can make sure that you're setting those priorities into your life because your priorities show up in your calendar. And then, yeah, just keep tuning in. You know, if, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you hit subscribe and all that stuff. Hit, hit me up with some notes and some comments. Just wanted to give you some tops of the ways as we're celebrating today and uh, acknowledging all of our partners and all of the people that have trusted us with their hard-earned money as we continue to grow our business, grow our team, and also grow the giving through our donor advice fund. So once again, thanks for tuning in to the Free From Wall Street podcast. If you like what you hear, go to freefromwallstreet.com. It will get you to the investor club. You can sign up, make sure you get in our newsletter, stuff like that. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Free From Wall Street podcast. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think.